Greetings and welcome. If the spirit so moves you and you're listening, please follow. And if you're watching, please subscribe with either. Please like and comment as I am your grateful host, Dan Riley. 36 years ago today, 73 seconds into its flight, the Space Shuttle Challenger was torn asunder, killing all seven crew members, which included a high school teacher. It was the 10th flight of the Challenger, with the nine previous missions totaling 62 days in space and completing almost 1,000 orbits around Earth. Their mission this time was threefold. Number one, to deploy a large communications satellite. Number two, perform a study of Halley's Comet. And number three, to carry the first civilian teacher, Krista McCullough, into outer space. She had beat out 11,000 other applicants as part of a newly designed NASA program, the Teacher in Space Project. The program was designed to inspire students, honor teachers, and spur interest in mathematics, science, and space exploration. Once in orbit, Mrs. McCullough was scheduled to give five lessons about Newton's laws of motion to school children across the nation. It was the ultimate field trip, and her mantra to the kids, reach for the stars. When the O-rings failed to seal correctly, the Challenger disintegrated over the Atlantic Ocean in a forking plume of smoke and fire. Contrary to popular belief, the crew didn't die instantly. Their cabin was still intact as it hit the ocean surface at 207 miles per hour, two minutes and 45 seconds after takeoff. While the surface recovery of the Challenger ended on February 7th, it was not until the last week of March when Air Force divers discovered the cabin and the remains of the crew members. Responding to Ground Commander Richard Covey's clearance, go it throttle up, the last words heard from the crew came from their flight commander, Dick Scobie. Roger, go it throttle up. When the bodies were found, they were not intact and so degraded from impact and submersion, no definitive causes of death could be determined. While most of the Challenger was recovered in those initial weeks following the crash, two large pieces from the spacecraft washed upon Cocoa Beach, 20 miles south of launch pad at Cape, at Cape Canaveral a decade later in the spring of 1996. The same day as the Challenger disaster, President Reagan was scheduled to give the State of the Union address. However, given the shuttle tragedy, he believed that would be inappropriate. But he was also well aware that a great many of our nation's schoolchildren watched in shock and horror as the Challenger burst apart and fell back to Earth. So he believed he still needed to address the nation. He told his staff, I need to make it plain to them, meaning the children, that life goes on and you don't pack it in and quit a worthwhile endeavor because of a tragedy. The news networks agreed to carry Reagan's speech from the Oval Office that night at 5 p.m. His chief of staff, Donald Reagan, instructed one of his staffers to go get that girl. That girl being the relatively unknown speechwriter at the time, Peggy Noonan. Mrs. Noonan's services were rarely called upon, but when an emotional speech was in order, she was their go-to person. Now, with less than six hours to write the speech. The president began his speech by recounting that it was 19 years ago, almost to the day, that we lost three astronauts in a terrible accident on the ground. 
referring, of course, to Apollo 1. But we had never lost an astronaut in flight, and America had never experienced a tragedy quite like this. He extolled the virtues of the crew and went on to name each of the seven crew members. Later in the speech, Reagan invoked the memory of famed explorer and sea captain, Sir Francis Drake, who coincidentally died on that same day, 390 years earlier. Quoting an historian, Reagan captured the seaman's spirit of adventure by claiming he lived by the sea, died on it, and was buried in it. The crew of the Challenger's frontier was not the high seas, it was outer space. Nonetheless, their dedication to adventure was like that of Drake's, Reagan claimed, and it was noble and complete. The most memorable lines from that speech were taken from a 19-year-old fighter pilot, John McGee, who was killed in combat 40 years earlier in World War II. During the war, the young pilot officer routinely wrote sonnets and sent them home to his parents. In his poem, High Flight, he writes, Oh, I've slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. It was with those lines that Reagan closed his tribute to the seven members aboard the space shuttle Challenger. Initially, Reagan didn't believe the speech met the moment. He said, there was nothing I can say that could meet a moment so painful to the American people. The president was wrong. His speech did meet the moment and is universally considered among the top 20 speeches of the 20th century. His political archenemy, Speaker of the House, Tip O'Neill, later wrote, Ronald Reagan spoke that night to our highest ideals. And he met Quintilian's definition of an orator, a good man speaking well. And for my part, that's all there is. If you're listening, please follow. And if you're watching, please subscribe with either Please like and comment. This is Dan Riley taking you on an odyssey into oratory. Until next time, you're off the road. Sail away from the sea.